How can God maintain his integrity when he declares guilty people to be innocent? How can God maintain his integrity when he declares guilty people to be innocent? Now, Romans 3, this part from verse 21, could be one of the most important passages in the Bible. I've got at least one dead theologian on my side who goes so far as to say this is one of the most, if not the most, important paragraph ever written. That's a big call, isn't it? No pressure. I think they're right, though, and I'll tell you why. Um, But before I get to that, just a caveat, if that's true, that this is the most important paragraph ever written, then I can't possibly cover everything in one sermon. So if I miss your favourite part or don't cover it as much as you'd like, let's all just imagine how good it would have been and you can tell me about it over morning tea a little later. In just a handful of verses, God's perfect justice is revealed. His unrivaled wisdom is displayed and his generous love presented as a gift to be received by faith. The topic of this passage is God's character. The context for this passage is God's anger at our rebellion. The issue is God's justice and the solution will be the blood of Christ. If you forced me to choose one theme from these verses, I think what I'd say is these verses are all about the blood. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is all about the blood. We're going to see today that this reveals the loving heart of our God, our self-giving God, who through Christ absorbs his own wrath, who through Christ upholds his own justice. And he does so that sinners could be legitimately, rightly, truly and eternally declared righteous in God's sight. As Katie said, we've been waiting for the good news for a while. Well, here it is. I'm going to pray and we're going to take a closer look at these verses. Father, we do pray now, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And we ask that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Point number one, God's righteousness offered to all because it's needed by all. Follow with me from verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. If you've been with us at St Jude's lately, you'll know that for more than a month now, We've listened as the Apostle Paul has exposed us week after week after week to be the sinners that we are. What's more, as he's done this, Paul has systematically removed every possible excuse that we might put forward to defend our behaviour. And then we had that horrible conclusion last week, as if in the courtroom scene, the closing argument, there's no one righteous, not even one. Let's face it, this was a blunt ending to an unpleasant section of the Bible. 
one that confirms there's not a single person in right relationship with God. Actually, that's too gentle. This last month has shown us that everybody is under the wrath of God. God is angry and we are without defence. But now, God's about to do something. It's new to us, but not to him. This is the gear change, the relief, the pressure release that we've been waiting for. But now, it signals a new direction for us. But God's promised this all along. But he waits until now. That is, just as our guilty verdict has been reached at our lowest point, powerless and with nothing to offer, now is the moment God chooses to reveal his righteousness. In context, God's righteousness is his stamp of approval. It's a legal status, a declaration that says, you are both acceptable and welcome in my sight which is a far cry from where we've been this past month. Every week we've found ourselves convicted under the weight of God's justice, and rightly so. But now, now God reveals a way for unrighteous, rebellious people to be restored to right relationship. But importantly, if you've glanced at the reading, you'll see this restoration of relationship has nothing to do with anything we contribute. God's righteousness, look at verse 21, it comes apart from the law, which is handy since we can't keep the law. Now, instead of striving to restore relationship and to become acceptable to God. God gives us what we cannot earn, verse 22. This righteousness, this right standing with God, it's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Which means, whatever happens next, since we've already been found guilty, whatever happens next, It's going to depend entirely upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not as if we are mostly good and Jesus makes up the difference. It's not as if we're a little bit good and Jesus makes up the difference. This righteousness from God, this right standing is given. It's given to condemned sinners who otherwise find themselves under the wrath of God. But the question you should be asking yourself is how? How can God remain committed to justice on the one hand, but now on the other hand suddenly declare unrighteous people to be righteous when clearly we are not? That's not how justice works. And besides which, God has made a problem, if I can put that reverently, for himself. If you go back to the book of Proverbs, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So there seems to be, and I say this with some hesitation, there seems to be a problem with God's character. He's always revealed himself to be just and fair and right, But now, verse 22, he's giving guilty people the status of innocent and righteous. How do we make sense of this? 
Well, I said, whatever happens next, it's going to depend on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and more specifically, it's all to do with the blood, as God's righteousness is revealed at the King's cross. Many of you will know that the US president has power of presidential pardon. It enables them to both free someone from prison or not have them prosecuted in the first place. And it's a very important legal avenue made available to desperate people seeking justice at the highest level. However, over time there have been, let's describe them as notable, there have been some notable presidential pardons. On his last day in office, President Clinton pardoned a man named Mark Rich, who aptly is a billionaire. He'd fled the United States to go to Switzerland after he'd been charged, allegedly, with over $50 million of tax evasion. Now, that's bad. But then you add to that about another 60 charges on top uh, of fraud and other things, and if convicted, this guy was facing up to 300 years in prison. Anyhow, I'm sure it was coincidence. But before Mr Rich received his pardon... Mrs. Rich, in her kindness, made a sizeable donation to Hillary Clinton's Senate election campaign and an even more sizeable contribution to Bill Clinton's new presidential library. How about that? Now, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the details of this case, and so I'm not in a position to reach firm conclusions. But you do have to wonder, this was perfectly legal, but you do have to wonder if President Clinton's decision would pass the pub test. It was legal, but was it just? Now, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, that might raise a problem of conscience for Bill Clinton, maybe, But in the context of Romans 3, surely this raises a problem for God himself, doesn't it? I mean, if God declares unrighteous people like us to be righteous when clearly we're not, isn't he acquitting the guilty? You can't just sweep these issues under the carpet. And I want you to know God has absolutely no intention of sweeping anything under the proverbial carpet. He will act in perfect accordance with his justice. There are going to be no shady deals, no fine print, no while stocks last, no terms and conditions. He's going to act in accordance with his justice and he's going to do so publicly Unlike a controversial presidential pardon, these verses give us complete confidence. God's method of declaring unrighteous people to be righteous, it will be unquestionably legitimate and he's going to do it in full public view. So how will he do it? Well, let's take a run up. Look at verse 22 and following. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, that's Jews and everybody else. Why? Well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely. If the word existed, we might say all are righteous freely. How? By his grace, that is, as a gift. 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Because remember, everything hinges on him. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, I'm not joking when I say this. There's a sermon series in those verses alone, and to prove it, there's a name you might know, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He took years to preach through the book of Romans. He took months to preach through these verses alone. I neither possess his skill nor stamina, so I'm going to pick on just two images for us, two images that highlight God's initiative as he freely elects to make a way for guilty sinners to be declared innocent. And yet, while all things are possible for God, this isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. And so, by nature, what we have before us is a one-time, never-to-be-repeated offer. Firstly, we see redemption. We don't often speak the word redemption, but we use the idea all the time. A simple example, gift vouchers are paid for by one person but redeemed by another. And so the redemption price is paid for by the gift giver, but it's the gift recipient who is the beneficiary of the redemption price. Now, the biblical pattern for redemption was set way back when God's people were slaves in Egypt. You might remember God's people are slaves under Pharaoh. God intervened through his servant Moses. Moses would go to Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses, uh, Pharaoh would say no. But after 10 plagues, Pharaoh was all turned around on the subject and he let the Israelites go. What changed Pharaoh's mind was the final plague, the death of the firstborn. Now, here's the link. For the price of a lamb, Israelites could shield their sons from God's judgment by painting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, you remember? And the angel of death would come over, see the blood and pass over, hence the festival. In other words, the price of redemption was paid in blood by the lamb. But the benefit of the redemption price was received by the Israelites. And so with that background in place, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely, made righteous by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's the redemption price. And so as it was in Egypt on a national scale, so now on a cosmic scale, guilty sinners shielded from the wrath of God. Because remember, that's our problem. Chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. Here is the redemption price that shields us. And that's a theme continued more graphically in verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, the sacrifice of atonement was a yearly festival. The high priest would take a lamb and symbolically this lamb, or at least the lamb's blood, would carry the sins of the nation. 
That's what the word atonement means, to turn away wrath. The blood would turn aside God's anger. But here, Christ is presented. This is personal. Not as a symbol of atonement, but as a sacrifice that would turn away God's wrath for the sins of the whole world. The wrath of God fully absorbed by the Son of God. God presented Christ. And so unlike politicians after an election, there are going to be no policy surprises with God, no tweaked promises, no backflips. At the King's Cross, God fully upholds his own demands of justice. And in doing so, he makes a way for the guilt of sinners to be paid for. We have total justice, complete forgiveness. And all of this is offered freely as a gift. I want to say to you, next time circumstances lead you to question whether God really cares, come to verse 25. Next time Satan accuses you of being hopeless, come to verse 25. Does God really care? Well, for you, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. You know, the main application of these verses is simply to receive the gift. Now, if you've not done that, then today's the day. You simply must make sure to find me after the service. And let's talk about that. This is a one-time offer. But I suspect there are many people here who are already trusting in Jesus. And so to you, I say this. When we got to the end of the first half of Romans 1, do you remember the wrath of God is being revealed? I said that the practical application for us that day was to tremble under God's word. Well, in a similar way but different, we have another application like that today because given what we've learned over the past month about our chronically sinful hearts, I reckon our response to a passage like this needs to be one of astonishment and wonder and worship that God would go to these lengths for people like us. God presented Christ for us. I said at the outset everything hinges on the blood the one put forward as the redemption price, the one presented as the sacrifice of atonement. And so it is that God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood is our only righteousness. His blood, our only work. His blood, our only message. His blood, our only plea. His blood, our only refuge. His blood, our only song. His blood, our only stronghold. His blood, our only boast. God presented Christ. But now, a way is open. The wrath of God turned aside. And so we say all glory, honour, thanks and praise. Christ's blood has set us free. Why don't you pray with me?
wisdom of King David. We heard it before. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And so, God, we give you thanks and praise for your gift to us of yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have the forgiveness of sins and the declaration that we truly are righteous in your sight through him as a gift to be received by faith. And so we do pray, would you increase our joy? Would you increase our thankfulness? And would you enable us by your spirit to respond in lives of worship and joyful obedience And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us. Amen.